you remember our boy Harry Harlow? Um, that one the Harlow's monkeys, right? He was the one that separated baby monkeys from their mothers and raised them with surrogate mothers made out of wire and cloth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that bullshit. Yeah, I remember him. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, he hit platinum on that study and decided to come uh, out with another banger of a study. Oh god. <laughs> this time, this is like he this found... is like watching Shrek 1 and you're like, "Oh, this is the best movie of all time." And then Shrek 2 came out like how can get a oh, yeah. any better than that? Yep. Yep. Our boy Harry Harlow found a new innovative way to induce depression in monkeys. Oh, oh my God, Chris! Stop with the monkeys! <laughs> I thought he stopped with the monkeys! Not that episode was it. Like I thought he was like, okay, no. I separated monkeys uh -uh. from their moms. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I can't. Yep. Inducing depression <sighs> in monkeys with something he called the pit of despair. So he... That's like... <laughs> that's such a villain thing to do. It's like, welcome to my pit of despair. Like, that's not something you would go... It's not something you go to a good guy's house. It's like, oh, I have a pit of despair in the back. That's... He knew it was bad. <laughs> yeah. Clearly. He did. He did. Even his grad students knew. <laughs> Welcome um, to Psych Papers. <laughs> Mr. Oh, Harlow? Sorry. Dr. Harlow? Um, do you think... This doesn't feel like this is a good idea. No. No. Pit of Despair. It's got to be called Pit of Despair. People need to recognize the gravity of what we're doing here. Uh, why are we, But why... <laughs> Why? Why? It it needs to evoke hopelessness. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Psych Papers. Hi. <laughs> Welcome to Psych Papers, a, a podcast of bad content where we review controversial and interesting psychology studies and conduct our own follow-up research. This episode is on another one of Harry Harlow's infamous studies on how to not treat animals. <sighs> I'm Chris Cole. I have a PhD in psychology, and this is my co-host, Joseph Taharan. Hi, I'm his friend. Chris, before we begin, I just need to know. We, do, we don't have to go into depth here in this episode, but how many more of these studies does Harley Harlow have in the, in, in the, fucking, in the fucking rotation? How many chambers so... does he have in his gun? So the first one, so we've already discussed him a bit in our episode on the Harlow monkey study okay. on attachment. Uh, in that study, he created surrogate mothers for monkeys made out of wire and cloth and found that babies need soft contact comfort. Otherwise, they become disturbed and emotionally unwell. Uh, we had like a good time with that article because Harlow likes to inject kind of strange humor in his articles. Uh huh. But besides this one, I think that's it. Um, okay. There might be there might be one more if I can find more information on it. Okay. Called the Tunnel of Terror, but that's um, a little teaser for. <laughs> that's like, is this improv? Are we doing improv right now? It's like a carnival ride. <laughs> what was it? Butler box. Pit of the the Butler box. Oh, yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Fucking Harlow and these names Yo, he's giving. Harlow comes out with. Bangers, dude. Not gonna lie, like very trivial, <laughs> trivial person. Not 
not cool, but great naming stuff. Seriously, super catchy. <laughs> really good, really catchy. It does roll off Pit of Despair. Uh, that really uh, rolls off yeah. the tongue. So in my research, I found out he has other studies that he's also infamous for that are even more fucked up than the one we did an episode on. <sighs> Before let's we begin go, with this study... Yeah, let's just get this over with, please. I want to discuss a little bit on who Harry Harlow actually was as a person. Because okay. now that we've done two episodes on him, we deserve to little, know a little more about him. Sure, yeah. We didn't, even know how fucked 19... up. we didn't know how fucked up he is. Why he's so fucked up? This is this will make it maybe us make feel a little better about it. It it this is this is when you learn about the backstory of a villain and you start yeah. to feel like a little sympathy for them. Yeah, add a little yeah. bit more dimension yeah. to this character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, Harry Harlow was born in 1905 in Fairfield, Iowa. Little is known of Harry Harlow's early life. But in an unfinished autobiography, he described his mother as cold and distant. Oh red flag. <laughs> yeah, red one. flag one. Yeah. Yeah. He suffered from depressive episodes and didn't fit in in school. Red okay. flag number two. Number two, yeah. He was very intelligent, though, and attended Stanford University to study English, uh, where, unfortunately, when he... Uh, entered as an English major, he did receive uh, pretty bad grades. He eventually okay. switched to psychology, where his grades drastically improved, and he eventually earned a PhD in psychology. That's that's a red flag number three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyone that like chooses psychology as their career, stay away from them. It, it, we warned you. You've been forewarned. Yeah. He received a faculty position at the Uni University of Wisconsin-Madison, where he conducted much of his iconic research. He was unsuccessful in persuading the Department of Psychology to provide him with adequate laboratory space. So, he acquired a vacant building down the street and with help from his grad students, renovated it into what later became known as the Primate Laboratory. I don't like that name. <laughs> That's where Which he goes. Is... Monkey-related studies, I oh, assume? Yeah. Yep. Oh, boy. Which is just paints a weird image for me. I know it was probably, like, a fine building, but the idea of, like, the university not giving him a lab, and he's like, you know yeah. what? I'll just find an abandoned building, and <laughs> that will be my lab. That would be like... weird even for today's standards, wouldn't it? He, some professor getting rejected at lab space, and then him just, like, Fuck just, it! I'll just get all my own my own space. Does he just buy a vacant yeah. building, or does he just squat in it? Just just take it over and hope no one comes and knocking. In this primate laboratory, he graduated over forty PhDs. Okay. He received numerous awards and honors for his research, and even served as president of the American Psychological Association from 1958 to 59. After his wife's death in 1971. His depression got even worse. <laughs> and he was even treated with electroconvulsive therapy. According to his grad students, when he returns to work, he wasn't the same. He would often make shocking and offensive jokes just to get a rise out of people. Yo, this is, we were joking about it earlier. This is an actual villain backstory. <laughs> 
This is like an evil person's backstory. Just one day their mind just shifted after getting electrocuted one too many times. <laughs> it's like he he didn't have like a good childhood. He was bullied in school, but he was very smart. Yes. I'll show them. Oh no. <laughs> Harry's research career was mostly spent studying maternal bonding, what he described as the nature of love. He's received a ton of criticism for using monkeys as a part of his research and is likely a catalyst for a lot of the animal liberation movement for how animals should be treated in research. Thank God. So what earned him his spot on almost all of the lists of most unethical psych studies? <laughs> top, top five unethical researchers. Number one, Harry yeah. Lee Harlow. <laughs> the legend. <laughs> <laughs> I can see if we were a different YouTube like channel, like Harry Harlow, <laughs> bad childhood, <laughs> mommy issues. Dude, I would love to like have a whole like sequence where it's like pro wrestling, but we introduce the most unethical like psychology <laughs> researchers and we just yeah. give little bios. <laughs> yeah, let's just be a listable YouTube channel for now on. Yeah. Carney Landis massacred over 20 mice, <laughs> traumatized over 20 grad students. <laughs> but it gets worse. You won't believe what number uh, four will be. He ran a study on his own children. <laughs> Everyone's boo, boo. <laughs> and he's, he's walking out like, yeah, what, what? <laughs> Oh, let's make that. So the aim of this study, where he coined the term pit of despair, the aim was to produce an animal model of human clinical depression. So he wants to replicate clinical depression in monkeys in order to study it. In concept, the abstract is actually, that's great to figure this out. The, the, the way to get there. Jeez Louise. Great goal. Terrible execution. Yeah, this is the, the means don't justify the ends here, folks. Okay, before we get into what the pit of despair was, let's talk about some of the earlier iterations of these depression boxes. Okay. Early iterations. Oh, yeah. Harlow's first experiments on the effects of loneliness and depression involved isolating a monkey in a cage surrounded by steel walls with a small one-way mirror so the experimenter could look in, but the monkey couldn't look out. So just imagine a steel box. That's it. Just a box. There's no windows or anything. There's a one-way mirror just so experimenters can look inside. That's it. The only connection the monkey had to the outside world was when the experimenter's hands changed to the bedding or delivered fresh water and food. Baby monkeys were placed in these boxes right after birth. Four monkeys were left there for 30 days. Four monkeys were left there for six months. And another four monkeys were left there for a year. After the 30-day period, the monkeys, referred to as total isolates, exhibited significant distress. Two of them declined food, 
leading to their self-imposed starvation and death. And after being isolated for an entire year, these monkeys displayed minimal movement. Uh, they showed no interest in exploration or play, and they were unable to engage in sexual behavior. When introduced to other monkeys during daily play sessions, they faced severe aggression and bullying from their monkey peers. So he kept them in just a box. Just imagine like a shoebox. And they stayed in there for either 30 days to six months to a year. And then he brought them back out and was like, let's see, let's see what happens. He also did this one other thing specifically to the female monkeys that I'm not going to go into because it was that horrible. And I'm pretty sure against terms of service for any platform this is on. Basically, it had to do with their ability to reproduce. The isolated monkeys. Is that part of the same study also... or just, just like a uh, like, oh, hey, I want to study something else while we're doing this. This was the same study where he wants to see like what the effects of this, uh, you know, total isolation would be. Okay. Okay. The isolated monkeys were also unable to parent their offspring, either abusing or neglecting their children. Harry Harlow writes in his paper, quote, not even in our most devious dreams could we have designed a surrogate as evil as these real monkey mothers were. Yo, you're the evil one here. He's like, wow, look at these evil monkey mothers. <laughs> why it's would like, they? Dude, you did that. Why, why would they do that? That's so mean. <laughs> Having no social experience themselves, these monkeys, after experiencing long-term isolation, were incapable of appropriate social interactions or parenting. Usually, they would just ignore their babies, but oftentimes, the monkey mothers would abuse and torture their offspring. Again, in ways that I'm not going to go into, they describe it in the paper, but I don't want to repeat it here. These experiments showed Harry Harlow what total and partial isolation did to developing monkeys. But this wasn't enough for him. Okay, just wanna, before we go further, this is just one, the first iteration of this experiment. Yeah. <sighs> All right. There's a trilogy. This was not enough for him. Harlow felt that he hadn't captured the essence of depression. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on, hold on, hold on. So he's he's putting monkeys in boxes, seeing them physically abuse their like their baby monkeys, showing like behavior that probably would be different if they had not been that. And he's like, hmm, not depressed enough. <laughs> they may be a little bit more depressed. Not bad, not bad. I think I can do you one better though. Oh man. <laughs> Harlow wrote another paper a few years later in 1969 where he stated, quote, We know how monkeys behave when they appear depressed, but we do not know how they feel. Depressed human beings report that they are in the depths of despair or sunk in a well of loneliness and hopelessness. Oh, no. <laughs> Therefore, we built an instrument that would meet these criteria and euphemistically called it mm -mm. the pit. 
Mm-mm. Or Mm-mm. the vertical chamber for those who find the term pit psychologically unacceptable. Oh my god, Harlow. For neonatal monkeys, we built a baby pit. And for more mature monkeys, we built an adult pit. End oh. quote. <laughs> Ma- mommy pit, daddy pit, baby pit. <laughs> Everybody gets a depression pit. <laughs> Fuck this guy. Depression for the whole family. So Harry Harlow developed what he called the pit of despair. And it honestly seems like he enjoyed naming these apparatuses. A little too much, yeah. A little too much. According to his grad students, at at first, he wanted to call it the Dungeon of Despair. Yeah, but they, they had him walk that back. Like, give me, Professor, can we change? Can we make that a little less yeah, morose? Yeah. He, he also used terms such as the Well of Despair and the Well of Loneliness. Oh, His colleagues tried to persuade him not to use such descriptive terms and that a less visual name would be easier politically speaking. Yeah. Be like, hey... Professor Harlow, can we just call it like the pit? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> well, of loneliness. How about the bottomless hell? <laughs> Is that any better? The hole of despair. <laughs> the, the cavern of destitute. How about that? <laughs> oh. oh man. So what was the pit? I don't want to know. Don't tell imagine, me. <laughs> imagine a traffic cone that you turned upside down. And if you put mesh panels over both holes, it was made out of stainless steel so that the walls were slippery. And the mesh panel at the bottom was so that waste could fall into a tray below. Food boxes and water bottle holders were attached to one side of the chamber. So he had the pit of despair, and then he put baby monkeys inside of it. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Most of the monkeys placed inside it were at least three months old and had already bonded with others. The point of the experiment was to break those bonds in order to create the symptoms of depression. He called it pit incarceration. Gosh, terrible guy. Fire name. Pit incarceration. Jeez, Louise. <laughs> Super evil, terrible guy, totally immoral. Fire names. <laughs> Should have named our podcast. You probably would have done a better job than we could have. <laughs> Harlow placed baby monkeys into these pits and kept them there alone for up to six weeks. At first... Monkeys would spend the first day or two trying to climb up the slippery sides. After a few days, they gave up. Within a few days, they stopped moving around altogether and remained huddled in a corner. The monkeys were found to be psychotic when removed from the chamber, and most did not recover. One of his grad students placed some monkeys in the chamber in 1974, his PhD, and wrote that he could find no monkey who had any defense against the pit. Even the happiest monkeys came out damaged. 
the experiments delivered what another researcher called common sense results. That monkeys, very social animals in nature, when placed in isolation, emerge badly damaged and disturbed. <laughs> and that most don't recover. <laughs> oh, who knew? If you make something miserable, it will remain miserable when it leaves the pit. <laughs> Thank okay. you, Harlow. Here's your Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> <laughs> At last, finally, I've been acknowledged. <laughs> they laughed at me, and I, they told me I was foolish. <laughs> You're in the pit now, next, fool. <laughs> to turn America into one gigantic pit of despair. <laughs> oh, no. What do you think the reaction to this study was from the scientific community? Ooh, he, I don't know, Chris. Uh, maybe people will be a little pissed off. I think some people would even the signs, even like Tim talking about his colleagues, a lot of them are just like it's just it's like it's like one guy who like you known in your life, like either in school or work, you're just like you know, a little off. You know, it doesn't harm anybody, but he's like, I don't want to engage in all the ideas that you got, dude. That's what that's the feeling I get when he when you when when I hear like these, you know, rem, these like uh what's it called? Like a like a third party like mm -hmm. <laughs> response. To, to these stories of him yeah yeah he uh he wasn't he wasn't super popular he wasn't a super yeah. popular guy yeah i yeah not surprised so the experiments were condemned both at the time and later from within the scientific community and other places in academia in 1974 american literary critic Wayne Booth wrote that, quote, Harry Harlow and his colleagues go on torturing their non-human primates decade after decade, invariably proving what we all knew in advance, that social creatures can be destroyed by destroying their social ties. He writes that Harlow made no mention of the criticism of the morality in his work. And I can verify this in his papers he never brings up any, you know, note of like ethics or morality or right or wrongness of what he's doing. I mean, why would he, right? Like, he's just probably going to treat this like a, this, this feels like that, like they don't understand. They don't get what I'm trying to accomplish here. Sort of mindset. Oh, AKA a Marvel. <laughs> AKA a Marvel supervillain. <laughs> <laughs> oh, One day. <laughs> Yeah, you'll, you'll understand. They'll it. recognize they'll my brilliance. You. Won't they all be so yeah. sorry? I mean, we're talking about him to this day. So to a certain extent, he won in some regard, I guess. What he does bring up in his papers, though, is his humility. Okay. He, he acknowledges that there are probably better ways to induce depression in monkeys. Oh. In that he's working to come up with the best method ever. <laughs> so he's, he's humble. One of Harlow's doctoral students, Gene Sackett, who went on to conduct additional deprivation studies, stated that in his view, the animal liberation movement in the U.S. was born as a result of Harlow's experiments. Mm -hmm. But William Mason, another of Harlow's students who also conducted deprivation studies, said that Harlow, quote, kept this going to the point where it was clear to many people 
that the work was really violating ordinary sensibilities yeah. that anybody with respect for life or people would find this offensive. It's as if he sat down and said, I'm only going to be around for another 10 years. What I'd like to do then is leave a great big mess behind. If that was his aim, he did a perfect job. Yeah, I could not say it better myself. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Whew. That's it. <laughs> no more. Yeah. You don't have yeah, no more iterations of the study. Okay. <laughs> we talked about this offline, but I need you to help me remember what it's called. When someone goes into specifically in psychology, and I'm sure it affects in other fields as well, where where the thesis or thing they want to study. Is somewhat directly or tangentially related to themselves. Was it was it a call? Yeah. Can you explain what that is? Yeah. So there's this term I learned in my first year of grad school called me search. And it's this idea that people research the things that are closely related to aspects of their own identity. So for example, there might be a researcher who has anxiety and they make their career researching anxiety. And they're kind of, you know, researching that to kind of better understand themselves and kind of help people in their situation. Uh, so you might have another researcher who has suffers from depression, and they actually end up studying depression for their entire life. So that's that's me search. And that's not inherently bad, right? That's just, I guess, or is it? No, no. Okay. That's not bad at all. As long as it doesn't, you know, uh, like negatively impact the work or like, you know, create some type of like bias that would lead you to misinterpret mm. results somehow. Cause you're, you're seeking out something because there's like a, you're looking for a specific yeah. thing. Well, I'll tell yeah. you one example where this was not great. It was fucking Harry Harlow. Harry Harlow was the OG me searcher. <laughs> no boy. He had a lot of, he probably just needed a lot of therapy and probably Maybe less shocking, a, maybe less, less caregiver. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe just a caregiver that was like there for him more often and a friend's group that he fit into. But, uh, you know, he's being talked about a hundred years later. So mission accomplished. You, you win, I guess, dude. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. If someone's having a great day. And they're feeling like, you know what? I need to be knocked down a couple pegs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then maybe, then maybe send them this video. Like Harley Harlow, Harry Harlow, make them, you know, create some humility, make them humble, humble them. Yeah. All right. Thank you for watching. Bye. Bye. <laughs>